time for Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. Brought to you by Rikus Baird. And now, here's your host. Welcome to Branding Business with Rikus Baird. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show topic focuses on IBM and how they've been able to be an enduring brand for over 100 years. Today's guest is Michelle Grieshaber. Vice President, Demand Programs at IBM North America. For a little background, Michelle and I met a few months ago as we were both panelists at the regional BMA conference held at Rikus Baird. And Michelle had a very interesting presentation titled, The Science of Marketing, The Art of Conversation, which is an insightful view of the future of B2B marketing. I think you would find some value in. So Michelle, welcome to Brand New Business. Hi, good morning. Well, uh, to set the stage for our discussion, maybe you can give a little background on your current position and some of your responsibilities. Sure. So right now in my current role um, in demand programs, I'm responsible for uh, generating a marketing pipeline of over $20 billion across all of the products and services that IBM sells um, uh, in terms of hardware, software, services, and financing. And in that role, um, I'm responsible for all of the inbound, outbound event um, activity that is driven in North America. Is that all? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. So you've been at IBM for a number of years and a number of different roles. Maybe you can talk a bit about how IBM has changed over that time and, and where the how this transition has took place actually came to IBM in the early 90s, and this was right before Lou Gerstner arrived as CEO. And um, you could kind of imagine at that point, if, uh, knowing a little bit about IBM history, Gerstner came into a company that was in desperate need of cultural transformation. Um, IBM as a brand had thrived in the preceding years in like the 60s and 70s. It was one of the most forward-thinking brands. and um, one of the hallmarks of that brand was a dynamic sales organization that dominated the culture. The, and, and this sales organization was very good, very focused, but also very individualistic and siloed by the products that they sold. That decentralization really worked well for IBM for many years, but by the early 90s, it was no longer working. And there was talk of breaking up the company and selling off parts. It's a little history lesson from a kind of an IBM perspective. And then what I think was really important is Gerstner came in and recognized that the true strength of IBM was in its people and the breadth of what could be delivered. And it just really needed to come together, not remain a bunch of piece parts, hardware and software, something that needed to be integrated in front of the customer. And that was the first major change, and that was a big one. And, and the emphasis was then on delivering full value to clients and serving them with an experience that was unique, that was IBM. Um, shortly into that point as well, so IBM had been a hardware and a software company um, pr predominantly. IBM acquired um, PW, um, Pricewaterhouse Consulting, and that brought in the consulting expertise needed to complete the transformation. So that was the first change. The second change I'll point to occurred in the late 2000s. In, in 08, the chairman at that time, Sam Palmisano, outlined a vision for a smarter planet during a speech at the Council on Foreign Relations. 
And this speech emphasized how the world's systems and industries were becoming more instrumented, interconnected, intelligent, and that the leaders and citizens could take advantage of this state in order to improve systems and industries. That speech set the course for IBM's Smarter Planet focus, to make the world's system smarter through the application of technology to better serve our needs as individuals and societies. And it really continued on that path set by Gerstner in the early 90s to provide higher levels of value to clients through integration. And then I'd say, and right now, and, and this is kind of very in the moment, but there's another change occurring where there are a nexus of forces that are coming together around cloud and social, mobile and analytics that are opening up new paradigms and possibilities. And these transformations are being driven into transformation in the enterprise itself. And so it's allowing companies to make decisions, create value, and deliver value in new ways. And when we talk about decisions, we're talking about complex decisions like how weather disruptions in the northeast of the U.S. might might affect delivery of goods and services and impact the bottom line. So these are the types of things that we're, we're, we're wading into. And... Um, we're working on this in IBM, complemented by things like new advances in cognitive computing that are helping the companies make better decisions and serve customers in new ways. Um, so that those are three, I would say, kind of big shifts that uh, that I can lay out that are, that are leading us to kind of where we are today. Well, definitely the world is watching. Uh, you mentioned two great leaders who continued to evolve uh, IBM and keep it relevant uh, into the future. And uh, obviously you're on path to continue that same journey today. In, your, in our discussion earlier, you mentioned that in uh, 2011, uh, IBM's 100th year, that there was uh, a process that uh, the organization engaged with in terms of uh, evolving the brand and defining what the brand would stand for today, but also into the future. Uh, maybe you can share just a little bit about that process, and uh, I think you spoke a moment ago about, you know, let's build a smarter planet, which is maybe the platform for this brand, but maybe you can share just a little bit more about uh, what occurred in, in, at that time and what's occurring now. Sure. You know, IBM Centennial was in 2011, and the run-up to that anniversary was, was an ideal opportunity for us to revisit and reassert the IBM brand. Um, I would say this it's probably worthwhile stating that there's a, there's a way that we can summarize IBM's brand strategy, and that's be a great company and therefore a great brand. And when you look at IBM's history, you see the company has believed that growth and greatness come from focusing on core values, behavior, and, and performance of the company and the IBMer. From the, from the first point, from a brand perspective, what IBM stands for is, is progress. IBM um, has a really focus on making the world work better through the application of intelligence, reason, and science. And that Smarter Planet advertising campaign that we talked about a little earlier seeks to bring that to life, like how cities can become safer and better, serve the needs of the population through the integration of sensors and systems and through the use of analytics to fight crime and improve basic services like distribution of electricity without disruption. Second, I would say that IBM, when we look at brand, 
you look at differentiation, and, and IBM is differentiated by our company values. And these are values that compel us to seek to deliver value, invent, and stay close to client needs. And I, it's very interesting. Values are very core to our brand. Um, but I think, you know, that, that there is a convergence today of a company's values and their, 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 their core identity. More and more, like the, you know, the company behind the product or service is just as important as the product or service itself. What you drink, how you clothe yourself, where you buy your gas, all of these decisions take into account an element of what you believe about the company behind these products. And that means there's an ever-increasing convergence of brand and culture. And the thing that underpins that convergence is a company's values. And then the third, third point in terms of the way that IBM looks at brand is how the brand is experienced. And we're very fortunate in that our brand is experienced through the IBMer. More than anything, it's our people that make us who we are. The skill, the experience, the intelligence, the reputation of the IBMer is, is our currency. And then the last thing that I think any brand looks at is, is stakeholders. Um, we serve forward-thinking clients, employees, investors, and communities, and really, you know, invest in all of those stakeholders in order to create the the experience that we that we want to deliver um, for our brand. So we had an opportunity to look at those real, you know, those four points. Clearly. Well, clearly, uh, you know them well, and that's we find often the biggest challenge in um, rolling out a brand is making sure that everyone within an organization truly understands, knows, and then uh, most importantly lives the brand. And these four examples you mentioned, they all touched on uh, the individual as part of the brand, uh, the values you're talking about, uh, the way people experience the uh, the brand uh, through the individual, the IBMer. Hats off to you and the organization for not only making uh, an external promise, but obviously uh, your brand very well understood throughout the organization. So how does IBM ensure people actually stay on brand? Because I think that's such a, an important topic and one I think our listeners would find value in. I think that's a great question, especially, you know, when you think about the rise of things like social media, consistent branding really has never been more important, um, especially since companies have less control uh, over how their brands are communicated. Um, like as, a, as employees participate in social media, they really need a, a solid understanding of the brand to communicate consistently and appropriately. And, and we also know that customers are looking to third parties, inform strangers or friends or colleagues, bloggers, to let them know about brands. And the more that these channels advocate and understand the brand, the more these activities really can add to your overall brand. So from our perspective, you know, I would say this, to, to think about consistency and address any kinds of gaps that you might have and, and how others are perceiving your brand, there needs to be a framework to be on brand. And the way that IBM looks at it is whether something looks like, sounds like, thinks like, performs like IBM in order to assess whether it's on brand. This really also helps us with differentiation. For example, I mean, I, I might try to look like you, Ryan, but it's also harder for me to sound and think like you. So let me give you a little more of a description. So to look like IBM, from our perspective, what that means is that 
what we deliver is purposely designed to enhance understanding. So think of it as like teach. There's an opportunity to make someone smarter about something. Mm -hmm. To sound like IBM is whether it is for us to really take a posture of listening and engaging with a point of view that projects what we call pragmatic optimism and intelligence. So, you know, I'm interested and I have a a point of view that's intelligent. To think like IBM is to think with the the rigor of the scientist, the scope of an industrialist, and the ideals of a statesman. So really kind of marrying these different qualities in the way that we approach problems and solve problems. And then to perform like IBM is to deliver the quality and the expertise expected. And all of these things have to be aligned to the company values. So oh. when, when these things come together in our advertising and our online presence, our client, uh, our client interactions and engagements, that, that's when it's really truly you're able to experience IBM. I imagine it builds a tremendous level of trust as well, and that it's just not an empty advertising campaign or an empty promise, but you uh, you thoroughly uh, relate and understand and deliver upon it. It's it's very powerful. Yeah, I, well, I find it a very a very good way of of really thinking through when I'm when I'm looking at a piece of collateral when I'm thinking about an experience someone's going to have in an event. Thinking through these dimensions of what do I need to look like, sound like, think like, perform like in order to be on brand really does bring you back to the, the core essence of, of what you have to deliver. Especially in the world of B2B where you know it's um, very much relationship driven. Uh, the budgets are significant. They're considered purchases. Uh, therefore, it's a long-term sales cycle, uh, multiple decision makers. And uh, it is so important to develop the process that you just outlined and for everybody to understand um, the brand's personality and the brand's promise. Therefore, it can really drive uh, their individual daily actions and thoughts. And so, very impressive uh, approach to it. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about your specific um, model that you're using. You, you, you know, you call it conversation marketing. and. Um, you woven in some of the examples already through our dialogue here about how you go about the process. I found it fascinating and would be uh, all right if we use the rest of our time to chat a little bit about uh, your uh, approach to conversation marketing and, and the steps you go through. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really, you know, think about it as how are you going to engage a client? And you, I think it's really important to kind of, you know, think about the backdrop in, in which we're, we're thinking about how we're going to have client engagements, those moments of interaction, knowing that there are a few things that are happening out there. Um, I think we all recognize that more and more self-discovery is being done by clients. In fact, depending on the data point that you see out there, there you know, between 60 and 70% of the, the decision has been made by a, a prospect before they're really rep ready to reach out to a company representative. Um, we also are seeing that something around 60% of, of, of purchasers are reporting that consistent and relative, relevant information provided by both sales and marketing 
were a major factor in their decision. So they want consistency mm. across these different channels of interaction. And they also said that, say that, you know, the majority of purchasers say that the solution providers that they choose are those that provide them with ample content to navigate the buying process. So with that as a backdrop, how do you develop a system to get marketing and sales on the same page and minimize the amount of content that you create and stay on brand in all client interactions across the digi digital and physical divide? And so this is really where, where we've settled on this idea of conversation. And, and the way you can think about a conversation that you want to have with your audience is to sort of think about it at its purest form. If I, if I were to lock my best sales leader or consultant in a room with a client for the duration of, of a sales cycle or a journey, what would that dialogue look like? What would, what would the questions be that the client would ask? the answers that the seller would give, the information that they'd exchange all the way to the point where they're ready to purchase. You can even go beyond that, but let's just stop there for now. I mean, you can talk about what it, what it would make, what it would take to make them an advocate and, and enhance the experience of, of the user. But just if you think about from when someone learns about you to when they're ready to, you know, become one of your customers, what does that dialogue look like? And if you think about it this way and you codify the process, you can create a blueprint for conversation marketing that gives you insights into the complete and relevant brand story across that journey that links the offers and the assets and the media that you'd need along that, that conversation and that synchronizes in that way sales and marketing and keeps the interactions on brand. So. All of those things can be achieved by, by starting from that core central dialogue. So let me give you an example. We, we have a, it, it kind of following that Smarter Planet theme, one of the campaigns that we run is around smarter cities. And the target audience for that would be something like the chief of police. Um, and they're looking for solutions that are able to help them use analytics to predict, predict and prevent crime in their city. So if you think about that, Smarter Cities, Chief of Police wants to reduce crime in the city through analytics. What we start with is we start by looking at insights on, on the audience, Chief of Police, and the topic of crime prevent, prevention to define what's important. Um, we use search. We use social listening to identify what the audience is saying about crime prevention and where they go for information and who they trust. And we can identify in, in listening what the triggers and the pain points are. And in the case of Chief, Chief of Police, for example, we hear the terms crime prevention, police technology, and they talk about how they should be allocating their police patrols to different parts of the city and they'd like to do that using real-time data because you can imagine they've got five squad cars and you know multiple city blocks where do they put them what's the best place to 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 position these these resources so from there we we now understand who we're talking to what the language is that they're using the pain points that they have and we map that into the dialogue. What are the triggers along the buying journey that help them learn, solve, compare, 
and be ready to purchase. So, for example, as they learn, they, they'll ask questions like, how do I reduce crime and violence in my city? Um, when they're ready to think about solutions, they ask things like, how can I use data analytics to prevent crime before it occurs? When they're comparing solutions, they ask questions like, what do other municipalities do to fight crime and how is IBM able to help? And when they're ready to purchase, they ask questions about the value that can be achieved and the ROI so that they can put together a business case to take to the city council or other decision-making body. So you've got now an understanding of what their questions are. You can identify what your responses are and map your content to this dialogue. So we create a conversation map that shows the assets that align to these different parts of the dialogue. Um, and this ensures that we're creating the right content for the audience and for the topic. And it has the added benefit of ensuring that marketing and sales are on the same page because the same assets that we can use online for digital interaction when people are searching can also be put into the hands of the sales team when they're actually inter and interfacing with a client and they can identify where in this journey the client is. And so that's how we keep everybody in sync. We also use that same map of dialogue and assets to plan our marketing execution and our sales enablement. And it's all from the same playbook. Consistency is ensured and we stay on brand by using those four dimensions of, of brand that I talked about, do I, do I look like, sound like, think like, perform like, um, across the assets that we create and the interactions that we define. And that's, that's pretty much how we do it. We set up a little, a little model and it really helps us stay on brand, maximize our resources like, because we're creating the right content for the right interaction and it keeps marketing and sales very much on the same page as to how we're going to interact with clients. Very insightful. Maybe I, I was kind of taking some notes. Maybe I'll just repeat back those steps. So you begin with the insights. In other words, you get to know me and my world. So uh, you do that through active listening and, and all the variety of different channels you mentioned. Then you identify um, really what's in their mindset through their triggers and pain points and uh, try to really understand what's happening uh, specifically in their mind and what their needs are. Then you uh, find an interesting way to dialogue with them. Uh, storytelling, of course, is a great way to do that. And then, uh, so now you're starting to develop some level of trust and follow, and, and then it might be a time to continue to evolve the content to, you know, reach the point where it might even be, you know, related to an offer or um, getting your value proposition out there, uh, and ultimately you want to maintain a relationship with them so you need to be able to develop the marketing plan to be relevant to when they're listening and, and um, you reach them on their terms and not necessarily just pushing content or pushing uh, advertising to them. So it's a wonderful journey of being able to stay relevant to them throughout the entire process from their perspective as you mentioned not from just uh, your point of view of what you're trying to sell. Right, because I'm anticipating what they're going to need next, and I'm ready to give it to them. Because yeah. it's essentially what you've just done is you've, you've just created a hypothesis for how that interaction with the client will go. And mm -hmm. at any moment, you're ready to give them the next thing in that journey. 
to see if that is really where they they want to go. Well, tell me, how, how do you, uh, how does sales and marketing work in, in IBM? In, in other words, you're doing a lot of this on the front end from a more of a marketing perception, uh, perspective, I'm seeing. And then, uh, where does sales come in? How, how involved are they throughout the process? It's a great question. As a matter of fact, they're actually involved not only at the, at the end, which I'll talk about in a second, but at the beginning. When we, when we first do that, the insights, right, to define what the dialogue looks like. We do the listening. We look at our market trends as well and see what we know about the personas that we're going after. We we interlock this with sales. Actually, they are part of the process in building the dialogue to say, did we get this right from your experience? Do you have other things to add? Are there places where we we might, you know, need to guide the the prospect a little bit more? And then the other part where we really interlock with sales is this is a tremendous because you've basically mapped out a, a conversation with a client and it's a great way to enable sales on what that client conversation will be especially as you bring on new salespeople or um, generally want to stay in sync on how the conversation is evolving with the client because this is needs to be updated over time um, but you can also then use it as a way for sales to serve sales the next best best action that they would need in an interaction with clients because i i if i know sales is having a a dialogue with a client on an early part of the process i can then give them the content and the offers that help progress to the next stage because i know where they are and i know what they're going to likely need um we also use it for the sales teams to organize their training around how do they go deeper with clients in certain areas. So that's how we stay connected. We're, we're, and, and that, that point that I raised earlier that clients really want a consistent interaction between sales and marketing and that's part of the buying criteria. Uh, this ensures that you're able to do that because you're, you're not independently recreating an experience with clients where sales and marketing are not in sync. That's a very interesting insight because I I see it quite often, unfortunately, where sales and marketing are not collaborating that well together. They're um, they're really not in- integrated, and uh, it's it's unfortunately a big shame out there. And it's interesting to see that the customers actually would prefer that they be more integrated. Well, sales always wants to create a a customer for life. And uh, it sounds like then you stay with them on the journey and continue to inform them, uh, the, the salespeople, so that you're able to uh, continue that promise uh, and being able to offer those insights uh, that the customer is looking for as well. And uh, so, I mean, maybe you could t- talk a little bit about how you stay with them on the customer journey. Yeah, so there, so I, I, I simplified this a little bit earlier by saying you can take it to purchase, but there's, there's really another step, which is, um, you know, building advocacy within your client base, right? By, by delighting them in, in their experience with the product and the service after they've purchased it. And then st- keeping connected with those clients, you know, again, monitoring what they're saying and, um, uh, getting their feedback in various different ways so that you can continue to understand their evolving needs and also as, 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 you know, use them as an advocate. As we said earlier, you know, social media is changing the landscape of how people experience your brand. This is exactly kind of 
takes us right back to that point again, which is your customers are your best advocates. And if they understand you and your brand and they're delighted with what you've delivered, then they're going to be you know, a very strong influencer in this whole cycle of what we've just created. How long have you been using this model of conversation marketing? We um, really started doing this last year, and so we're um, we've got we've made a, a tremendous, I'd say, investment in this in terms of the way that our teams are working to create this. It's it feeds our our process of marketing automation, and it feeds it very very well. Um, so we are starting now to roll out. The conversations that were developed last year, I would say it that way. And we have some that we, we actually tested last year and they, they had much higher response rates and conversion rates. And so that led us to, to really look at how we did this much more systematically. We're at the rollout phase of that this year. Great. Well, I appreciate you sharing the uh, the details and insights. You've been very generous with your time and these insights. I know you travel all over the country and all over the world, actually, and, and sharing this. So you, you represent the promise that is IBM quite well. Well, thank and, you very much. And uh, I'm, I'm delighted to share this because I, I really do think from a B2B marketing standpoint, the underpinning of making this work is, is marketing automation, right? The tools that we have that help us create nurture streams out of the dialogue that we we create but the big piece that I'd like to be able to share with you know my my colleagues in other companies as well is having a process that thinks about this very systematically and gets marketing and sales much more tightly aligned is really as much uh, as important as the tool itself and the marketing automation itself so I'm happy to share this well, thank you so much. Well, I think we're almost out of time. So, Michelle, thank you for being a guest on Brand New Business. Any final thoughts or insights to share with our listeners? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> I would say from the work that we're doing on, you know, conversations and branding, we're just going to we're going to keep on um accelerating our pace on that in order to continue to align marketing and sales for, you know, for the benefit of the constituents that we serve. And I would also say that from the perspective of IBM and just tying back to culture and brand, the culture of IBM is is around really strives to make our clients and the world work better. And I talked about that a little bit in terms of how it was embodied by Smarter Planet. The next era of computing, what we're really getting into now is focusing to help clients develop and deliver products and services in new ways to create higher levels of value to individuals. We'll help cities and governments improve the quality of life for citizens. We'll help our constituencies harness the power of data to innovate and create. That's the next thing that I think you will see coming from IBM is really helping serve the individual and using data and the power of IT to do that. Fantastic. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the world is watching. Um, you are a global leader, and it's uh, it's great to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. So if our listeners have any questions of you, would you be willing to share your email address for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And um, my email address is my first name and my last initial, and that is Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-G. And uh, my domain is 
us.ibm.com. So it's Michelle G at us.ibm.com. Perfect. Thank you, Michelle. Been fantastic having you on the show. Hey, thanks, Ryan. It's been great to be a, a guest. Thank you. Well, this is Ryan Rikus. You've been listening to another edition of Brandy Business with Rikus Baird. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandybusiness.com. As always, please share your comments as we can all benefit from the discussion and varying viewpoints. Thanks again for listening, and stay focused on your brand promise. You've been listening to Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. To hear more, simply visit our website, brandingbusiness.com, or tune in next week to learn how you, too, can build your brand and move your business forward. Brought to you by Rikus Baird.